Good morning, DCF family and friends that are watching online this morning. Bless you guys. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, as we get ready to kind of start off um, our service this morning, I would love to just kind of start us and kick us off with a psalm. There is, um, you know, do you ever have one of those weeks where just stuff's been happening and um, it's been happening with a lot of people in our body this week? And so we just really have such a sense of the Lord's tenderness and comfort towards his people this morning and um, just who he is as our good shepherd. So I'm going to read a psalm uh, this morning. We're all familiar with it, but maybe not this particular version. And so it's the um, Psalm 23 from the Passion Translation. And it says this, it says, the Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Will you stand with me this morning as we worship our beautiful King Jesus, who is well acquainted with our grief, with our sorrows, and he is the one who has tender mercies for you this morning. That there is a banqueting table that the shepherd has sat before you in whatever you have faced this week and what may be coming this week. And it is a table that is full. It is a table of abundance. So this morning, we're going to lift our voices and we're going to worship because Jesus loves us that much. So, Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have prepared, Lord, a table for us in the presence of our enemies, Lord. And you have said that you have a delicious feast for us, Lord. That there is a table, Lord, that is full, Lord, of peace. There is a table, Lord, that is full of grace. There is a table that is full of truth and kindness, Lord. So this morning, we swing wide the gates of our hearts, Lord, that the King of glory may come in. Lord, that you may be with us, that you would sit with us at this beautiful banqueting table that you have prepared for us, Lord, that we can pull ourselves right up, Lord, to this table, Lord, and receive all that we need because you are abundant, Lord. And we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
that hallelujah we've been talking about. We proclaim the goodness of God, and it is for eternity. He has never changed, and he will never change. His heart towards us is always good, and he has no option because he is good. He is our good.
Amen means so be it.
just worship you this morning. Thank you for the truth of this, Lord. God, let it just be embedded in our hearts, Lord, and fingerprinted upon us, Lord. God, that your face has turned towards us in the face of Jesus. Lord, that your favor does rest upon us because of Jesus, not because of what we've done or because of what we deserve, Lord, but because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you that that grace and that love and that kindness, Lord, rest upon us, Lord, and that you are for us, God, because you could never deny yourself. Lord, thank you that we live and move and have our being in you, Lord, and you choose to make your habitation in earthen vessels. Lord, you choose for the spirit of the living God to live in us, Lord, that your favor truly rest upon us, Lord. We bless your name this morning, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that the blessing of the Lord rest upon us because of your goodness. Lord, we bless you this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're glad you guys are with us this morning. And for those of you that are watching online, welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you're a part of us this morning. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to find out a little bit more of your story. Go to DothanCF.com. If you're watching online, you'd like to kind of a little bit know a little bit, hey, how could I get connected and um, partner and be a part of this ministry? Um, you can do that at DothanCF.com as well. Uh, we are going to be launching our grace teams today, which for those of you um, to kind of make it in um, terms that you might understand, these are our serve teams and where we have are available. So we've got them listed at the back. You're going to get to find out about them a little bit this um, afterwards. They're also going to be on our website. You can check those out um, as well, and you can go ahead and sign up for those. And um, what I love about our grace teams, these are the ones that we have currently um, and what we know is we want you serving in the things that you are passionate about, but also everyone serves where there's need because there's always need in a local church. And as a family, we bring our strength into all of the arenas to build and to cause the body to grow and build itself up in love. And so um, then what we say is there's the grace team that's not there on those boards yet, and it's because... There needs to be a leader for it. And if you are passionate about something as a grace team or um, as a leader and you want to do that, we also would love to talk to you as well. So just because it's not up there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means we need a leader for it. So um, love for you to bring your strength to that. And ladies, mark your calendar for February the 23rd. We are going to be having our Thrive Ladies Gathering. And what we know is that we are better, we are stronger, we flourish together in friendships and relationships. So be sure and uh, plan to come to that. We'll have more details getting out to you with it. So, um, And then coming up next month, we're going to be doing our community groups. Um, we grow in community together, and we do life it is a journey, and we are called and designed to journey with one another and to never do this life alone. It's much too big. It's too heavy to do by yourself. So that's why you need those around you to come alongside whenever it's the, what we call the good, the bad, and the ugly. And many of you have that little doo-doo, kind of like I wish I could do it and whistle it from Clint Eastwood from back in the day. So, um, but we love for you to be a part of community as well because that's where you thrive also. And many ways to give um, online as well as in the box in person. Um, you can pull out your phones and do that right now with the QR code or on our website. And we are going to dismiss our kids and our youth. And uh, we're going to be right back continuing with the message of abundant life. 
and uh, with uh, David. Thanks so much, you guys. Good morning, everybody. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will, uh, to 1 Corinthians. We're going to get there in just a minute, uh, chapter 6. And I don't know if you have like a, a old school Bible or if you have the screen. <laughs> Some of you guys got that family Bible you have to bring in on a wagon. Anybody remember those? <laughs> most, most of the time, mine at my house uh, gathered dust, at least for a season. So it took a little while. Um, we're finished up a series called Abundant Life, and so that's been going on for a while, uh, for the last four weeks or so, and part of the conversation around that was, um, is tying into grace teams, and uh, it's also going to tie into community groups as we kind of go forward, because part of the challenge is we hear the phrase abundant life, and especially if you grew up in church, you're like, yeah, yeah, totally, I know exactly what that means, but let me ask you, what does that mean? <laughs> and the challenge is when sometimes we hear that, we're like, you'll, we'll say generic things like, well, you know, life in Christ and, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, but what does that mean? <laughs> and so part of the challenge is um, it's helpful when we hear those kind of phrases in church world is to go after that and go, what, what was God's intention about abundant life? Like, like not just what, what was the intention for us to have it, but is there like a pathway? Is there a way to get to abundant life or is it just some you know, kind of um, ethereal thing that floats off in the distance that we can never act actually grab hold of, right? And so part of, the, part of the preaching and teaching ministry is to help you kind of grab hold of something that maybe you didn't know or it's a revelation that once you grasp it, it changes everything about the way you actually live your life. And so um, the truth is, if we're not living a Christian life that is reflecting, you know, what Scripture teaches us, then we've missed something along the way. And, and unfortunately, I wish it, this weren't true, but sometimes church can actually get as much in the way as it, as it actually, actually can be a help. Some of that is just tradition. You know, some of that is you know, culture. There's a whole lot of things that happen. And it's always good to go back to Scripture, um, use the context, and go, God, when you were doing this, like when Jesus, when you were discipling people, what were you actually trying to do? So with Jesus, Jesus doesn't just come in and give a whole bunch of information, right? That's not what he did. He gave information, but he very quickly moved into discipleship, and he created this, this uh, connection between um, what a, a rabbi is, which means a teacher in that culture, and then what a disciple is, which means learner. And so it's just a, you know, that's just a connection. And his intention was for us to do it the same way he did it. So he, Jesus would often do, he, when, we, when he would teach, his methodology was like this. He would show the disciples how to do it, I mean, he would, he would demonstrate it in front of them. They'd go, oh, wow, he does miracles. That's pretty cool. And so then he would do it with them. And they would participate somehow, some way, and kind of begin to move into the practical aspect of it. And then he would say, okay, now you do it. <laughs> and then he would refine that and come back and go, yeah, that, this part of it was awesome. This part, not so much. That seemed a little selfish and ridiculous, so maybe don't do that again. And so he would just, and he would continue and refine that. And he did that over a three-year period with some of those roughest characters you've ever seen in your life. If you go back and do a character, you know, kind of a, a character study on the disciples, you're like, I see me in that way more than I should probably. <laughs> but the tendency is to turn them out, turn them into saints. And so then we've got this big picture of, oh, you know, the apostle Paul, you know, the apostle Peter. And so we're going to get in this just in just a minute. But there's a reason why people are afraid of the word apostle, right? But, and it's not because it, it isn't available for us today because the Bible teaches that it is. The problem is we have created such a um, ethereal, mysterious kind of, you know, maybe not substantive, but it's, it's kind of there, but we really can't define it. And really, we'll, we'll use, like, we'll call him a saint. 
but, but you can't be that, right? You can't be like Peter, and you can't be like Paul. And I'm like, uh, I think that's exactly the point, is when you read the early days of the disciples, and then what Jesus did in their life. You know, at some point in the book of Acts, it says, uh, it, it recognizes something about these men that, w- that was different than the early part of their story, because it said, these men had been with Jesus. This is what they saw about these men. They go, these guys obviously spent time with that Jewish Messiah guy, you know? It's pretty apparent. And so as we kind of move forward into the abundant life and kind of wrap this series up, what is the abundant life like? In, if you just paint a big picture of it, what does it look like? And so I just, I just wrote this down. Um, there is no abundant life without a surrendered life. And so, so often if you're looking for the abundant life, we're looking for tips and tricks, you know, it's like the frequent, frequently asked questions, you know, whatever, on the websites. And, and those, there's some of those things that are true, and a lot of times we talk about that. But the ultimate understanding of this is Jesus basically, and I taught into this a little bit, he said, you know, the, the uh, Old Testament said there's a way that seems right, but the end of it is death. So if you keep going down that road, you're going to miss it. But he comes back and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, which is just the opposite side of that same phrase. Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to teach you a way that, that seems wrong, but it's not. The world's going to look at it like you're crazy. You know, they're going to go, uh, why do you do that? Why, why, why have so much integrity? How come, you know, you guys waited, um, you know, to have sex before you got married? How, you know, that's silly. That's ridiculous. That's archaic. That's old. And they give all kinds of excuses. But so often we look at that life and it's a wreck, right? It's a mess. And we look at the life that's, you know, kind of different, that's more like Jesus. And it's awkward and n- nobody agrees with it. But, it, but there's something about it that's true, and people, and that's supposed to be it for us as disciples. That's what people are supposed to see. So the abundant life is the surrendered life. That's a short version of it. And so you, you cannot have abundance in life without the one who came to bring you abundant life, right? And so it's, a, this, it's this walk with Jesus. It's this walk with God where you are in relationship with him on a regular basis. If you have a special place to pray, I'm so glad you have that. I, I, I hope there's candles and, you know, there's a place to kneel that's nice and soft for your knees. But, but the truth Jesus tried to teach us was that, that where you pray doesn't make a single bit of difference. There is no power in this room that isn't available in the parking lot or the coffee house. As a matter of fact, um, a friend of mine that I hang out with at the coffee house sometimes, another believer, um, mature believer, he comes and gets me. I'm right in the middle of... Um, um, doing some admin stuff. And so if you know the story of me, the coffee house, Mural City Coffee House is my second office, right? <laughs> and so I, I, I chose that on purpose several years back because there was multiple coffee houses in town. But I felt like the part of that was the Lord wanted me to be missional. And for me to be missional as a pastor is difficult because everybody I know is a Christian. Everybody I work with is a Christian. Most of my friends are Christians. So how are you going to meet people who don't know Jesus or who need help, Right. And the answer is, it turns out a lot of them gather at coffee houses. I don't know why, but just sinners everywhere at coffee houses. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're all everywhere. So anyway, I'm in, the, I'm, in, I'm in the midst of my office, you know, role, and I'm, I'm doing admin stuff, and I got my computer and got my headphones on, because, you know, headphones is a cue to everybody. If you don't know this, it's like, please don't talk to me. I'm trying to focus. So I'm trying to focus, and, I'm, and I hate doing admin stuff, but it's got to be done. So I'm doing it, and it's just a block of time, and I'm working through it. And uh, my friend Robert comes and kind of yanks on my coat. He said, hey, can, uh, come over here. Let's pray with this guy to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, so, you know, I mean, I'm in admin brain, right? And he's like, 
baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so all of my memories about the baptism of the Holy Spirit pop up and almost none of them are quiet, right? So only like, that's going to be interesting. So I, I'm like, okay, let's see what happens. So I get up and we go over a corner and we're praying for this guy. And so he, he came and got me. He said, I feel like this guy needs a pastor right now. He goes, I'm, I'm a brother, but he needs a pastor. He goes, I'm not sure exactly, but I feel like, you know, this is what we need to do. I'm like, awesome. So I go and talk to the guy and, uh, and I do what I do. And I kind of set it up and I go, hey, um, what, what are we praying for? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, Robert mentioned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, do you know what that is? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> said, well, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to pray for that, right? Because Robert wants to do that, so let's go for it. And I had so many thoughts going through my head. One of them was, this guy probably has no idea what we're asking him to, to, to receive right now, right? Like, you know, and if it happens, it's going to be a, 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 a big surprise to him and the whole coffee house, you know. I mean, Robert and I won't be surprised, but he will, and so will the coffee house. And, and we're okay with that. We're like, you know, if it makes a big noise and it's loud and, you know, and, and, you know, this guy jumps up and down and he's speaking in a language nobody ever taught him and he's running through the coffee house praising Jesus, I'm like, you know, I'm, I already have it in my head what I'm going to do because, you know, the Bible's already given me an example with Peter. Peter's like, he just stands up like, hey, everybody, he gets their attention. It's not what you think it is. That's how I'm going to start, right? If you want to know what it is, I'm going to tell you right now. And if you want more information, just come over here to this table and we'll hang out. Otherwise, get back to your study or, you know, or your conversation, whatever. So I, I had a plan for either direction, how that went. It turned out the guy didn't really know what was going on. He felt the presence of God, which is awesome. We prayed for him for a long time. But there was no outward manifestation, none of those things. But here's my point. My point is, um, my first pastor told me, you need to be ready to preach, pray, or die in five minutes or less. And it turns out it's actually less than five minutes all the time. Like Robert came over and like, I need you on right now. Like, I'm like, I'm walk, I can't be walking over there going, let me review the scriptures on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me, you know, am I holy enough? You know, have I prayed enough this week? Have I, have I done all the things that can lead to this, right? And here's my point. The abundant life is you either have it or you doesn't, right? So, so if you're struggling going, I'm not sure I have that abundant life, then let me help you. You don't. That's how that works, right? If you, don't, if you can't feel the abundance of life flowing in your life, and I don't mean that you don't have tragedy from time to time, but tragedy never, it never derails you. It might stall you for a second. It might you know, grab hold of you for a second, try to shake you, try to get you to come over to its point of view, but you never do. And the reason why is because there's so much life going on inside of you that there is no place for death. There just isn't, right? I, I'm, I'm thinking about that all the time. Um, I had a birthday this last week, and I turned 57 years old, and, and that's way, way, way closer to 60 than 56 was. I don't know why, but I'm just telling you, it is. And so, you know, those thoughts go through my head, and I'm like, not that it really matters. But the point is, you know, I, I've decided I'm just not going to get old. My, my body may, and that's fine, whatever. You know, the outward is kind of dying, but the inward's being renewed day by day. That's how I see my life and who I am and how God made me. So I'm going to go as, as fast and as hard and as long as I can in terms of ministry and all the things I do. In the meantime, I'm going to have a blast doing it, right? My, because my abundant life isn't made up of, you know, Christian life at church and, you know, in ministry and pastor life. And then I have, you know, a husband life or I have, you know, the, my Dave time where I'm working in my garage or going kayaking. All of it is the same to me, right? And this is what Jesus was trying to teach us. He's like, there's a way that you think life is supposed to work. Your head's down, you're in your career, you're in, you know, early days of marriage, you know, you just had kids, um, you know, or finished college, you know, all these are seasons and, and aspects of your life, and I get it. But the point Jesus is trying to make is, 
All of those things can be full of abundance. Whatever season of life you're in can be a place of abundance if you just will surrender your life, right? So he said, you, you know, if it, the storms are going to come and they're going to beat on your house. And the only question he's asking is, when you built your house, did you build it on the rock? And you can't build it on the rock one day and build it on the sand the next day. It's either built on the rock or it's built on the sand. That's the point Jesus is making. And so my wife, um, there's a favorite scripture. She has a lot of favorite scriptures, but one of her favorites is, is a, it's an observation from the Old Testament, and it kind of fits into that wisdom literature that we were talking about at the early part of this series. And it was, it was simply this. It was, um, if you fail in the day of uh, adversity, your strength is weak. I remember the first time I read that scripture, and I was like, that is so not helpful at all. Doesn't tell you to do anything. Doesn't tell you why. It doesn't tell you any of those things. It's just flat-out observation. But observations like that can be incredibly helpful because what it does is it gives you a clue to the journey that you're on. And so Jesus comes along, and he, he asks the disciples questions. Most of his parables were stories about, do you know where you are? And the answer most of the time is, I'm saying I do but I have no clue where I am with my life right now. And so the abundant life, again, is the Christian life, but there are measures of that in terms of how much you're surrendered. Uh, I remember a guy put it like this one time in a, in a, in a uh, series. He was talking about the surrendered life, and he said, he said I've, I've, uh, I've got, Jesus sits on the throne of most of the rooms of my house. He said, but if I'm honest, I got a couple of closets. I don't want him let, I don't want him to look in, let alone try to put his throne in there, right? Maybe that's his career. Maybe that's his marriage. Maybe that's his, you know, internet life or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying that I know to the degree that you are surrendered is that to, to the degree that your life will be full of abundance. And that's the picture we've been painting. So I want to get into that just with two concepts, really, that I'm going to go after. And then we're going to just briefly talk about grace teams in a way that I hope is super helpful in, in how God has designed you to Walk in this abundant life through the gifts and the callings and, and the passions that he's put in your life. And so there's an aspect of that that's true as well. So here are the two concepts. They're real simple. Um, you're not your own and you owe a debt of love. So I'm going to just cover those real quick. So let me start with you are not your own. And this is the scripture we're going to get to in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 here in just a second. But I want to paint a picture first because you need the context for this scripture. Otherwise, it won't make sense. So I want to show you a picture. This is Corinth. Um, Corinth is a place where Paul went on his missionary journeys, apostolic journeys is really a better way to put it. But Corinth is um, in Greece, it's in southern Greece, and it's right, right there on, to the right over there, you can't, it wouldn't be on the map, but it's just off of the map, is Athens, okay? That's one of the largest cities in, in, in Greece. But right here is Corinth, and Corinth is in a really interesting place because there's an isthmus that comes across this. If you go back to that, back, that picture right before it, um, see the Peloponnese Peninsula? That's a massive, massive, massive piece of land. It doesn't look like it, but it is. And so the journey to the, to the east from Rome would come through this, this, this sea over here on, on the left of this, and it would go through there and through that, you know, that uh, bay, and it would end up right next to Corinth. And that isthmus was about uh, three to six miles, just depending on where, they, where you measure it. But in that, their time, it's probably closer to four or five miles wide. Um, right now, there's a, there's a canal that goes through it. If you ever get a chance to see it, it's amazing. It's, beautiful. it's super deep because um, it, it, it's just the way it was built. Um, and, and whole cruise ships go through it with just some up, sometimes just a foot on either side. It's a super tight fit. But in Paul's day, 
they would bring ships there. And so imagine, this is how bad it was to go around that, that peninsula. They would bring ships there, and they had a mechanism where they would literally pull the ships up on some kind of trolley thing, and they would have slave labor or whoever, and they would haul that ship, they would pull that ship on rails, basically, that whole, that whole time. And imagine how expensive that must have been for the labor and everything. And sometimes they have to unload the ship and carry stuff separately, but they would get it across on the other side of that, and then they would continue their journey. And it was, and it was so much better to do that um, that they were, because it's easier to go around the peninsula. But, but in terms of time and energy and effort and how much money could be made, they would go right through the middle of that, that particular um, isthmus. Anyway, all that to say that the reason why that has, has value to Paul is Paul comes into Corinth, and Corinth overlooks that. And so Corinth was the, it was the, um, uh, the seat of power for Achaia, which was a Roman province, it was uh, a military town. It was, um, there was, there was all kinds of things going on, but trade was the biggest thing. And so in this particular place, in this area, the trade routes between Asia brought all kinds of people together. Um, and so there was lots of money to be made. And one of the ways they made money uh, was through prostitution. But what was interesting about that, it wasn't prostitution the way you think about it, because in that time, there was a temple of um, uh, Aphrodite. And so if you'll look, one of the next pictures um, this is the temple of Aphrodite. And so that, that big hill overlooks Corinth, and you can see the isthmus and all that. Um, and Corinth is right down here below that. And down in that valley is, um, there's all kinds of things, but the, their, um, their marketplace, um, the Agora, they called it, was the largest marketplace in the Roman world, including Rome. So you can imagine the kind of, I mean, there was hundreds of thousands of people who were coming through there on a regular basis. And, and, you, and one of the ways you worshipped, quote, worshipped, was through the temple of Aphrodite, was you would go and you would have a prostitute, and then you would pay her, and that was kind of how you would do your worship and your giving, right? <laughs> the strange thing about that is not really changed a lot. We just moved it to online. You know, that's, that's basically how we did it. But why this is so important, again, is um, there's a temple there too called the Temple of Apollo. And so the Temple of Apollo, this is an example. So it's right below that big, you know, that big mountain. Um, and the Temple of Apollo was, um, was connected to, you know, again, the Roman gods and all these different things. And so there were temples everywhere. And th different temples did different things. But imagine if you're a sailor and you come in here and you had the opportunity to worship at the Temple of Apollo or the temple of Aphrodite, <laughs> what do you think you'd choose? Right? I mean, just sailors in general. Nothing against the Navy. My next-door neighbor's Navy guy. So he's a Christian. So, but here's the thing. If, if that's going on, and Paul says, I'm going to come here and preach the gospel, what do you think you might be up against? Right? I mean, God's, of course. But, like, this is going to be a tough one, right? When he went through mission school, they were like, I don't, I don't think you know what you're doing. You should go to Athens. Athens is going to be easier. But he decides to go here, and because he does that, again, he's going after some stuff here when he preaches into it. And this is 1 Corinthians 6.18, which is a letter he writes to the Christians now. He's established there, right? So that backdrop in that context, this, this is the scripture. Flee sexual immorality. <laughs> now, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense now that you know the backdrop of who he was talking to? So if you go through and you read this, some of these Christians were still still had patterns of their old life where they were going to the temple of Aphrodite, right? So you think as a Christian, you're struggling some of your old patterns. This was some of the struggles that they had as well. 
Flee sexual immorality. And then he says something really interesting, and I didn't understand this for a long, long time as a believer. He said, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What? Like, what in the whole world does that even mean, right? He goes on, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So he's, he's creating an argument with these guys who are struggling with their old patterns of life, right? And his argument isn't thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not, you know, look at porn on the internet. That's not what he goes after, right? He does something totally unexpected. He actually pushes away from the law, which is something we teach in here in a big, big way. Because so often Christians are still under the law. And so many times churches will they will preach a mixed message of the law and grace. And I used to do that myself until I really began to understand the difference between the two. And, and when you begin to get this, this argument that Paul makes begins to make a lot of sense because it's a grace-based argument about you and your identity and what, what the world is trying to drag you back into, right? So, so the fight isn't, you should try harder, brother, because imagine, he writes and he says, you know, what you, you know what you guys, your problem is? You're just not good Christians and you should just shine up and do better, right? And those 22-year-old Christian young men who were sailors before <laughs> going, that's, that's the ticket, that's exactly, that's going to help. And so they try that for a year, right? What do you think happened? Most of them would have given up. But he goes after it this way and he says, hey, um, did you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? So isn't it interesting? Like, there's the temple of Apollos, there's, you know, or the, the temple of Aphrodite. All of these temples that are worshiped, they're gods, you know, they're worshiping their gods there. There are certain things that they do there. And he's saying, you're the temple, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So you don't have to go anywhere. Remember Jesus talked about where we worship? He goes, you don't have to go somewhere to do that. You take your temple everywhere you go. But he, it's an interesting context because he says, Hey, what you do in the body matters. It's not okay that your body is sinning. You, you can say, well, I'm, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm, <laughs> I'm love, I love Jesus, but he understands my struggle. Like, it's just excuses for not leaning in. Go, Lord, I want, I want the best of what you have. I want what you intended for me when you died on the cross, right? So he goes after it in a huge way. He goes on in verse 20. He says, for you were bought with a price. So, your, what, what you do in your body matters. You are the temple. Your, your body's the temple. And you're not your own. So, and then he kind of tries that even further. But because, and you're not your own because you were purchased. You were redeemed is, is really what that word goes after. You were purchased. You were bought with a price. And the price was God's only son. And, and, and he was willing to pay it. As a matter of fact, it wasn't your idea to ask him to come. He, he came ahead of time. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, that's me, right? We were the ungodly. And he finishes it out. He says, and this is so powerful, for you were bought at a price. And so because of that, not because I'm beating you up about, you know, the law and thou shalt not, but he said, because of all these things, he says, glorify God in your body. In other words, it's, there's no spiritual and, you know, and it, there's no difference between spiritual and body. And, you know, the, this mindset about, you know, it doesn't matter what I do during the week as long as I'm in church on Sunday. 
you're never going to have the abundant life that God intended for you to have if that's your mindset. So it has to be all in. And this is what Paul's going after. He says, the all in is, if you don't know that you are the temple, if you don't know that, you've been, that you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price, if you don't know that, then you're never going to win this battle against sin. It's an interesting concept. And then he finishes with, you, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Listen, it's so amazing. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And look at the last thing he says. Like, is he confused, right? I mean, is, I thought it was your body and your spirit. And it is, right? But it's also, he said, but they're actually God's. So, so this concept he's going after about the body is really interesting. He said, it's not just your spirit that belongs to God. It's your physical body too. And all of that, all that that entails. He, your kids belong to him. Your house belongs to him. Your, you know, your 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 career belongs to him. Why? Because everything that you are, he made. The breath that you breathe, the brain that you have in your head or don't have, depending on what your mama told you, right? All of those things came from him. Every gift you have originated in him. He is the giver of good gifts. It's so easy for me to worship God. And the reason why is because I've taken on this mindset and go, God, all of this is mine. You've given me a body. You've given me a life. You've given me a, a, a family. You've given me all these things, and they're amazing, right? But they also are all yours, too. And so that co-labor, that co-air that co thing, somehow we've got to get a handle on that and go, because we pray these dumb prayers. Forgive me. I'm some, I've been told I've been blunt sometimes, Okay. But I don't know any way to say it because I've prayed the dumb prayers too. Oh, God, if you really want me to give this up, then make me. And God's like, that's not how that works. Right? But if you, you're like, yeah, but I don't want to know how it works because then I'm accountable for it and then I'm responsible for it. And I know that. So the longer I can hide behind pillars of truth or doctrines or culture or whatever, the better I am. Right? Why? Because I don't want to admit it. I have come, people ask me, how do you deal with atheists? I'm like, it's easy. There aren't any. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, no. I mean, you know, like, how do you deal with atheists? It's like, I don't because there aren't any. You know how I know there aren't any, any atheists? Because the Bible says only a fool would say in his heart there's no God. So there are Christians and there are fools. So, so that's how I think. Now, listen, I'm not disrespectful, but it, it doesn't take long to, to, use, to literally use their own logic to destroy the concept of atheism. And if you're interested in how I do that, it, one, it's through relationship first. Because if you pick a fight like that and, and beat them up with something and you don't have a relationship, they're just going to run away. But here's why this is so powerful. Because when you know those things and the Bible said something that's true, once that you understand that that is true, that now has become a submitted life in that arena. So if you say, you know what, it's not right for me to sleep around um, before I get married. Okay, why? Why is it not right? And, I, and the way God gave me that example is reminded me when I was five and I, my dad had given me this Tonka truck and I was playing with it and I was looking for better places to play with it because I'm a boy and I'm five. And so I found a perfectly perfect place for Tonka trucks. To, they, I would just push and it would fly for days. And it turns out that was the highway. And when my mom found out about that, I got my hiney beat, right? This is what people used to do with their kids. They, I'm like, my hiney was sore. I was like, ooh, that's, 
whatever that is was not worth what I was just doing. So I'm like, I'm going to make a new decision about where my life is going, right? So, <laughs> so but here's why God used that. And he said, look, the, the road is perfect for your Tonka truck. I was pushing it back and forth across the road and nothing happened to me. I managed to not get run over by a real truck, right, coming down that highway, which is a miracle in and of itself. God looking out for me when I was five years old, even before. So, so that's what, you know, having sex outside of marriage is. It's like, well, but it feels right. Well, you're five years old. Of course it feels right. You, you don't have a clue. But you know what you need? And, and what you need is a parent who will give you a butt whooping that will help you understand that there, are, there is pain and consequence associated with that direction in life. Why? Because if you get that, then you'll go, I know it feels right, but there are consequences involved, and my five-year-old brain understands that. I don't understand why there are consequences, no clue, but I just know that it's true. So once you find this truth, it's no longer a law. It's, it, it comes back and God says, I love you so much that I want to do everything I can to get you to avoid future pain, even though you under, don't understand how that future pain is going to come. And so because of that, I'm challenging you to trust me and believe me, which is you go back to Abraham. That was the thing he said was so powerful about Abraham that led to our understanding gospel. He said, you, I said something, you believed it. And he said, because of that, I'm counting that to you as righteousness. Why? Because, because that's the source of righteousness, because he's the source of all things. And when I begin to believe him about these things in my life, and, and here's how I, I'm super skeptical. If you've not had a chance to get to know me. I'm very skeptical about most things, but especially church things, <laughs> right? Because I know my own tendencies. And so I, I say it this way, um, seek truth, right? And question every assumption. Maybe not out loud. I used to do that when I was younger, but seek truth and question every assumption. So, so someone comes along and says, this is the latest thing that you should do as a believer. And I say, awesome. Where's that in the Bible? Because I really, I hope that's true. Because it looks fun. <laughs> right, it looks exciting. It looks, yeah, let's go down that road. But before I just say yes to it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out. Why? Because if you put truth on the throne of your heart, you will find Jesus sitting there. Right? Because he is truth. Not his a truth. He's the truth. So if you, if you go after truth, which, by the way, contrary to popular opinion, is objective, not subjective. You don't have a truth, and then I have a truth. That's an opinion. And so words matter, right? So you're gonna, our whole generation now have been told that all truth is subjective. No, it's not. Because when you listen to me, it's so powerful. Just pay attention, right, when you, when you hear stuff like that. All truth is subjective. That is an objective truth statement. So they've literally defied their own logic, but they will believe it all the more. Why? Because it keeps them from being accountable. So big boys, big girls, we tell them, put your big, big boy pants on, put your big girl pants on. I, I hate that you're hurting right now, but move past it. <laughs> That's a, aren't I a great pastor? Just so kind and 
<laughs> Listen, God did not give me the gift of mercy, but I still need to show it. So it's 10 times harder for me than you. So don't pick on me too much, right? If you have the gift of mercy, man, it's so easy to give mercy because it just flows out of you. I don't have that. So I have to pay attention and go, what I want to do is kick you in the butt. But is it really time for that? <laughs> right? Should, maybe I hug you first before I kick you in the butt, right? Or while I'm hugging you, kick you, you right? I mean, I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out, you guys pray for me. So here's the thing. When you get this surrendered life, when you understand the surrendered life, these scriptures begin to make sense, right? Because the answer isn't something you do that isn't motivated by something you have believed. The belief comes first, and then everything flows from that. And that's what Jesus said. If you believe in me, there's something about, and belief is not just a mental ascent. Biblical belief takes on a whole different connotation. It's, it's mental ascent with action-oriented. So let me give you an example. When I, I, when I go sit down on one of these chairs, um, I trust those chairs to hold me. One, I watched a bunch of you guys sit down in them first. That's kind of how I work. I'm like, let's see if that holds them up. <laughs> and it did. And I'm like, okay, this probably hold me up. And then after I've sat in them, these particular chairs I've sat in probably, you know, 15 million times, right? Um, at some point for me to have a doubt that that chair is going to hold me up, right? At some point, that's just ridiculous. So is that how you are submitted to Jesus? And if you're not, don't wait for him to come tell you, pursue him, Right? He's been pursuing you since day one, way before day one, actually. But, but what does that mean? I pursue him in these arenas. Lord, I'm, I'm having trouble trusting. I'm having tr trouble trusting in finance. And God says, give. I don't think you understand what I said, Lord. I said, I'm having, tr I'm having trouble trusting you with finance. And the Lord's like, Narja, here's how you fix that. Give. <laughs> Y'all know, because we all do this. We struggle with this. Um, you know, and, and again, there's a million things you could go after in this. But again, it always comes back to this is the submitted life. So how does this work? Like, what does this look like as we go into this? Well, here's the second concept. You owe a debt of love, right? So this is Romans 13, 8. Now, these, I'm going to put these two together as we kind of wrap it up here in just a second. Um, this is Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's a big, big scripture. God's word translation says it this way. It's a bit of a paraphrase. Pay your debts as they come due. <laughs> right? You're a good Christian, do that. If you're just a good human, do that. However, one, day, one debt you can never finish paying. I love the way he puts it. You can never finish paying is the debt of love that you owe each other. The one who loves another person has fulfilled Moses' teaching. That's the law, Moses' teaching. So Jesus went after that right? Because this is what he said in Mark. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Somebody asking this question. The most important one answered Jesus is this. I love how he said the most important is two of them. Like, did you not hear the question, Jesus? I ask him this all the time. And, and, and he, he did. <laughs> so I have to ask him why he's doing it. Because you can't have one without the other. And that's his point, right? This is one commandment that's two. He goes on, he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So let me just, this will help you again, because if you don't get this, law will get a hold of you. You know what you should do? This is what Jesus said you should do. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, I mean, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. How are you doing with that? 
And you know what we say? We say things like, well, you know, that's hard. I know, right? So um, he didn't really mean that. He just meant mostly. Like, do your best, right? And the whole Matthew 5 and 6, the whole Sermon on the Mount, you go back and read it. He talks about the Beatitudes, and he's, he's talking about the coming kingdom. So it's kind of a mix of the law. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the coming kingdom, and there's about to be a transition. And what he does, he said, you've heard it said that this is what the law requires of you. Um, don't commit adultery, right? But he knew for now, you know, a couple of millennia, or almost a millennia, um, people were hiding behind that. They're going, well, he didn't really mean that. So we'll just do the best we can. <laughs> and Jesus said, I'm not talking about like fulfilling the act. He said, I'm saying that if you look at a woman with lust, you've already done this. So what is he saying? He's, he's saying this inward life that you have is not hidden from God. And let's be honest, it's also not hidden from you and I. We know better. We know what we're doing when we're doing it. I don't want to submit for reasons, <laughs> Right? But if I'm honest about that, what I'm really doing is, what I'm really finally doing is I'm dealing with self in every facet. Because Jesus is not saying, don't have your will, or don't have your soul, or don't have your spirit. Just remember that it belongs to God first. And that he's given you that. And because of that, it is yours and his at the same time. So what does that look like then? And it looks like, the only way it looks like, is it looks like a relationship. But this is what's so fascinating. That's between you and him. But isn't it interesting that he just didn't talk about the vertical. He said, there's a reason why this has to be right first. And then this horizontal with your brother and your sister and, and the world has to be right. So if you get this, if you get this first part, then you'll get it. But again, it's a law. And this is, go back and read the scripture again, Romans 13, 8. Pay your debts as they come due. However, one debt you can never finish paying is the debt of love that you owe, owe each other. So remember he said, he's alluding to this, this passage that Jesus talked about. The debt of love that you owe, owe each other. One who loves another person has fulfilled Moses' teaching. So if you've learned how to lo really love other people, because you want to love everybody until they got a name and a problem. We use that about evangelism as well. Because it's, you know, as long as it's abstract, I'm good, Lord, because they can hide behind something. But the moment it becomes that irritating neighbor of yours, right, then something begins to challenge you and goes, okay, you can, because you, you tried, you're like, I've been, Lord, and you, and you argue with God, which I think is funny, but you say, oh, you know, God, you, if you knew him, like I know him. So, we're so dumb, right? So, why is this so powerful? And, and this, is, this is what he's going after. And I just, again, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. We can't repay the debt of love that we owe somebody else because it didn't originate with the person we're loving. Let me say that again. We can't repay the debt of love to our brothers and sisters. We can never finish repaying that. Why? Because that's not where the debt really is, is it? The real debt is it originated with him first. The fact that I can even have the capacity to love anybody came because he put that capacity in me, right? But, but we learn how to be selfish with our love because that's what we do. And when we become believers, something, something else happens that <clears throat> we learn how that in loving someone else usually means I have to put them in front of my own needs and my own desires, right? Do you do that? And if you don't, 
then Jesus is just going after that and going, hey, have you really submitted your life to Christ? Here's what I find fascinating about this. I, I've got so, listen, I've got so much, there's no way I'm gonna get through all this. I'm just gonna wrap this up here in just a second. But the whole point behind all this is Jesus, he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it, right? So the problem is we think we're supposed to build the church, especially pastors. I'm building the church. No, you're not. Only Jesus can do that, right? So Jesus is working in other people. But he does say, um, in order for me to do that, um, you do your part. What's your part? You go make disciples, right? You go love people into the kingdom. Love them and teach them into the kingdom, right? This is what your job is. You go make disciples. So, so I've got this relationship with God. And if, if we're honest, if I just had that to deal with, I'd be, I'd be fine. It's, you know, some guy said it this way. He said, it's, it's not pastoring I dislike so much. It's the people. <laughs> And again, I know this is so true because once people have names and problems and extended families and, you know, all the issues they have in life, as a pastor, you get to know all of that pretty quickly, right? But, but that's, that's the reason we fail so often in the ministry is because somewhere along that, that we think that's my job to do something about that. And, and my only job is to learn how to love people the way Jesus loved me. And that means it's unconditional. So that means, because <laughs> Karen and I, if you've been married for 15 minutes, you know this is true. You cannot like the person you love, right? You can't stay that way for long because your marriage won't, won't survive. But you can very, and if you've got kids, you're like, Lord, I know why you made them cute. Because if not, same thing with puppies and kittens and all. It's like, Lord, I understand why you made them cute. <laughs> I also understand why you didn't let them talk for a long time. Because none of them make it past two, right? But, but what do you do? You love them anyway. And, you know, and my favorite is, um, I love this story. Uh, we had a friend, had a little boy, and he was, he was so smart. He was such a smart little boy. And she said, this is when I really knew I loved him. <laughs> and what's really sad, he's already talking by this time. I'm like, Mary, we need to talk about that more. I think there's more behind that. Anyway, she said, no, he, he was sick, really sick. And he was, you know, doing the vomit thing. Some of your parents are going, I know where you're going with this. And he was, he was running towards her because he was sick and he was about to throw up. And it scared him, terrified him, actually, because I'm the same way. I still like to throw up and, you know, I'm almost 60. So I'm like, <laughs> I can understand the challenge. And he's running going, m m Mama. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> come here, baby. <laughs> she said, I knew I loved him because I stopped backing up. <laughs> And she said, and sure enough, man, as soon as I picked him up and I hugged him, he let loose. And she said, and I, if I had any sense, I would have buttoned that button at the top first. Because it just, you know, right down the back. And she goes, and now I'm hugging this nasty thing, right? Who's terrified and now relieved. She goes, but his relief became my trauma. <laughs> Welcome to motherhood, right? <laughs> Parenting in general. But this is the picture that God paints in this, Right? And so all of this, it, all of this is so powerful because to, to walk in the abundant life doesn't make sense. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you want to find your life, I need you to give it away. And, and I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't want to do that. But that's what I deal with. I, I, and Jesus, again, paint, he paints the picture so beautifully in his parables and he says, he says I, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question now. He said, say, say you have a son, and you ask him to go do something. And he says, no, I will not do that. 
just flat out rebellious. But then he goes and he does it. Then you have another son who says, sure, dad, I would be happy to go do that. And then he doesn't do it. Who does the will of his father? Right? And the answer isn't what your attitude is sometimes. Dear Lord, if we judged ourselves by our attitudes, nobody's getting into heaven, that's for sure, right? So, so part of marriage and is I'm going to put you together with a person who loves you so much and you're going to become vulnerable and then you guys are going to know each other's stuff and then you're going to, you know, in your immaturity and your insecurity, you're going to poke that button every once in a while. It's like, you know, you say something that's irritating, you know, and then you go, oh yeah, here's the nuke. Boop, boop, boop. And, you know, and then it's like they don't talk to you for like a week, right? So, so what you learn to do in marriage is you learn to go, you know, out of everybody else in, her, in my wife's life, they may not know where that button is, but I do. <laughs> and love is not pushing it. Because I can, and she can push that one in me. But we learn to say, I can, but I won't. Why? Because I'm supposed to prefer her to me. I'm supposed to love her like I love myself. Jesus is saying, if you can get this understanding between you and I, this is what you do. And I got so many other scriptures. One of them, it says, how can you love your brother whom you, uh, whom you can see? How, no, how can you say that you love God whom you can't, can see, but you won't love your brother whom you can see? So he's saying, There's, here's a litmus test. How are you doing with the surrendered life? You keep going, Lord, I want more. I want abundance. Lord, I need this, and I go after this, and I want these. And God's like, I hear you. I hear you. You, you want to know how to do that? Lord, I, want, I want, need more money in my life. I need a river of money flowing through my life so I can do the things I need to do. And Oh, yeah, and also so I can bless people. And yeah, and that. <laughs> and the Lord says, you know what you ought to do? You should give. So, Lord, what I said was I want money coming in, not going out. And God's like, I heard you, son. Right? I'm belaboring the point. So, so what does that look like with where we are right now in grace teams? Back there on the wall... We have about seven, I think, grace teams that we have listed. And I'm going to release you here in just a second, and our grace team leader is going to be back there. Um, so what do they do? Our grace team leaders are there to help coordinate the ministries and the service that our church provides one to another. So if you're wondering, how can you practically love one another? What does it mean to be a part of a local body? What does it mean to be a part of a family? Being a part of the family is, um, I'm driving in one day, and... Um, the, the, uh, the two, we've got two garbage cans, you know, we've got the regular garbage and the woke garbage, and the truth is they're just one garbage, but I'm not talking about that. But they, you know, those two containers have to come out, otherwise our garbage starts piling up our house. And I'm driving in, I had a long day, and those things aren't out there. And I'm like, Lord, you know, you gave Karen the gift of taking the garbage out. Why is she not doing it, right? <laughs> That's not what I do. I drive in, I get those garbage cans, and bring them out to the front, right? As often as not, they're already out there when I drive in on that day. You know why? Because neither one of us has the gift of taking the trash out. It's just a need that has to be done. There are certain things that I've agreed to do, she agrees to do in our household, and we've got a wonderful kind of dance that works. If you've ever been around us, you know we dance a lot, right? <laughs> not that way, another way. But this is what we do together. Why? Because we love one another, and we're committed to serving one another. So that means I have a strength that I bring no matter what she brings to me. This is how marriage is supposed to work. God says, I want you to love one another, and I'm not basing that love on how they respond to your love. I want you to serve one another 
and I'm not basing that service on how they respond to what you've, what you've done in their life, how you've served them. I'm asking you to serve them because of your love for me. I'm asking you to love them because of your love for me. And when we get that, what begins to happen is something begins to transform in our life. And it turns out Jesus was right the whole time. And that as I serve, something happens in me that would never happen if I don't serve. And this is the kingdom. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but it's the way God designed us to do that. So what we do then is we serve one another. We serve your kids back there in kids' church. The worship team serves our needs. They, they are the lead worship of, of our church, right? They're, they go there first. They, they're loud and, you know, sing loudly for all to hear, right? That's part of their gift, creativity. You know, the production team, the finance, there's just so many teams that we have in the church. And what there's a built around is your grace gift. If you don't know what those are, come talk to me or one of the leaders. We can help steer you in the right direction for those, for those things. But the most important thing to know is this, that, that you have a debt of love to, to give, and, and you're never going to repay it. So if you're like, you know, I'll serve for a little while, and then I'll quit. <laughs> no, that's not how Christianity works. Because Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm going to serve right up to the cross. I'm not going to die for anybody. That's crazy talk. Like, they don't even like me. Matter of fact, they're the ones who put me on this cross in the first place. How dare they? Right? It's so dumb when we think, like, you know, I would never act like that or think like that. We do it all the time. So my challenge to us is just simply this. Will you serve? We have tremendous needs in our church, and as we grow, I mentioned this last week, as you know, we're a healthy church because we have healthy leaders. And, but as we grow, we're going to get a lot of people who come in, and there's going to be a lot more unhealthy people than we've had in the past, which is going to create problems, which healthy churches help solve, but then they create unhealthy scenarios because they're inviting people in who are unhealthy, but that's the whole process. And the more we teach and disciple and bring people to this understanding of Jesus in their life, the more they serve, the more they grow, the more they look like Jesus. And that means the more impact and the more power we can walk in in people's lives. So that's why we do what we do. It's why we serve. And if there's not a team back there and you're like, hey, I have gifts that these teams don't support, that means you need to talk to me about starting a new team. If you feel like there's a ministry in our city or a ministry that you have and you're plugging into DCF and we don't support that in some way, start, here's what, how we typically do it. Start a, a community group around that idea. See who signs up for it. Run it up the flagpole. See who salutes. And then as that begins to develop, we will create a grace team. Usually somebody, you know, if that was your idea, usually you're going to be the one who leads it. But when we do that, what we do is we, meet, we begin to meet the needs, not just of our own people, but we're serving, uh, probably half of the people who serve in kids' church don't have any kids, or their kids are grown. And so they serve not because it blesses their kids, but they come to church and bring their strength because it blesses you and your kids. And that's part of it. So everybody serves. Everybody is supposed to serve. So how do you get the, the submitted life? The short answer is, I mean, how do you get the abundant life? The short answer is, are you submitted? And part of that submission is becoming part of the body means you actually have to perform the part of the body that only you can perform. Not everybody can do what you can do. So bring your strength or don't. <laughs> but I promise you, if you don't, Jesus is going to come get you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> what he's going to do is he's going to love you. And by loving you, what he really, he'll do is he'll begin to challenge you. And that's okay, because that's part of growth. But what I want to I challenge you with right now is just pray and ask God, God, where, when I go back there and look, and I begin to step into this, couple things are going to happen, so just keep this in mind, this, especially when we get into this and community groups. If I do this, 
I'm going to begin to open my life to other people, and I've got some stuff I don't want them to see. First of all, that's a lie. We all see it. <laughs> you, you, you don't hide it nearly as well as you think you do, right? <laughs> and, if, and if we don't see it, God will make sure we see it because we are the answer to your growth, right? Like, Jesus, I want to grow. And, and Jesus is like, join a serve group, grace team, community group. You're like, no, Lord, that's, did you not hear what I said? I totally heard what you said. So this morning, take that step. It's a simple thing. There are needs there. Come and serve in those needs. And as you do, one, it's going to bless everybody it's designed to bless because your gift is powerful. It's unique and it's powerful. But secondly, it's going to do something in you you can't even begin to imagine. This is one of the first steps to the abundant life. So I'm going to pray. Karen's going to come up and just give us some instructions about what we're going to do. So Jesus, thank you for this body. Uh, Lord, you spend so much time talking about it. Lord, I, I pray that we get more and more understanding about what it means to be part of your body. Lord, each one of us, individuals, different members, but the same body. And Lord, you're the head of that body and give direction on how we do it and when and where and all those things. But Lord, as we submit our lives to you, God, it feels so wrong sometimes, but we know it's right. Would you begin to allow us to see the fruit of those endeavors, Lord? And then cause that fruit to just explode into transformation, not just in my own life, but Lord, that in my serving, Lord, it's going to bring many sons to glory. It's going to bring transformation in marriages, Lord. It's going to heal broken, wounded people. Lord, it's going to help people get on track and find their purpose and their destiny, all the good things that you came to bring us. Lord, I pray, give us a heart to serve in the way that you serve. Teach us what that means. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. And if you're watching online, thank you for being a part of that. Um, we had some time this morning. Our ministry team spent some time praying and really just a sense of what the Lord had for us this morning and had for you. And um, just waited on the Lord for you. And so we are going to have some things that will come up on the screen. If any of those resonate with you, we would love to pray with you. Um, if there's something up there that doesn't resonate with you, but you're like, I really would love for somebody to pray for me this morning, we would love to be a part of that with you. And so we're going to ask our ministry team to come up um, and so they can be ready to receive um, anyone who would like to be prayed for. Um, if not, have a great week. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. And um, just as a quick announcement, for those of you who are familiar with Fostering Hope, they are actually relocating from Headland to a new location, and they need help this week, Tuesday through Friday, to pack up all the belongings within the building and to actually trans, um, transfer and relocate them to the new building. So if you are available to help with that, if you can just see me personally, that would be a great, great help to them. So, um, And don't forget to go by the boards, meet the Grace Team leaders, check out the QR code. If you're sitting in your seat, you want to kind of look and see what they are, you can do that as well online and go ahead and sign up for some of those positions. So and be open to something new. I think that that's what I love. Um, uh, it doesn't take much to love a little baby and to play with them or to pour into the life of kids. And for you guys, I'm like, I'm not called to children's ministry. Can I just tell you the Bible says nothing about being called to be a children's pastor? 
It doesn't say anything about that. It says for you as moms and dads, as those who are leading in the generation before, to take what you know of who God is and you pour into them when you come in, when you go out, when you raise, when you lay down, when you rise up. There is something for us to pass to the next generation. So you carry something great. You carry someone great inside of you to be translated to our kids. So I just want to encourage you. Don't let it be overwhelming and don't be afraid of them. I love it. I heard, heard this phrase years ago. Don't let them sense your fear. You'll be fine. So, uh, But just they, they are to be delighted over and delighted in and loved deeply. So God bless you. Thank you. And if you need prayer, come up this morning.